I know it's wet and a little dank outside, but we all look dry. And it's certainly nice and comfortable in here. I'm happy to see all your smiling faces. Would you please stand? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll worship him through song. Father, we lift up your name, who you are. And we pray that you would come down and be with us here for this next hour and a half or so. That we sing songs, that we enjoy each other's presence, shake each other's hands, and just experience a little bit of heaven here on earth. God, be with us. Be with Josh as he brings the word this morning. Bring it all together that we might be encouraged to follow after you when we walk out those doors this, this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Strength will rise. Strength will rise. As we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord our God. You reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverer. You are the everlasting God. Oh, 
faint, but uh, I might if I don't take a quick breath. So while I do that, you guys uh, go shake the hand of somebody you don't know. Ask their names if you have to. It's not embarrassing. It's a part of human interaction in life. You can make your way back to your seats, please. So if your kid was not here on Wednesday, we would like for them to go first to make sure they get the candy. Um, so you can just line up outside the door, and then it's like the board game Candyland. You just follow the path and go through and get candy. Adults are welcome, too, also. Um, but again, I just want to thank everybody, and I want to say a special thank you to our events team that uh, pulled it all together. So, yeah. Yeah, you want to sing the next song? Christ is my firm foundation. The rock 
song which I stand when everything around me is shaking. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So I would keep fail now. He won't. He won't. I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. So I won't be going under. So I would be fair now. He won't. He won't. He won't fail. He won't fail. He won't. Everything around me is shaking. I 
Stand and sing together. Ramblers in the wilderness, you can't find what we need. We get a little restless from the search, and we get a little worn down in between. Like a bull chasing the matador, there's a man left to his own schemes. Well, everybody needs someone beside him, shining like a lighthouse from the sea. Brother, let me be your shelter Never leave you all alone I could be the one you call When you're low Brother, let me be your fortress When the night winds are driving on Be the one to light the way Bring you hope Down in the desert now There's a cage locked around my heart I found a way to lock the keys Where my failures were Now my hands can't reach that far I ain't made for a rivalry I can never take the world alone I know that in my weakness I am strong Cause it's your love that brings me home Brother, let me be your shelter Never leave you all alone I could be the one you call When you're low Brother, let me be your fortress When the night winds are driving on Be the one to light the way Bring you home And when you call You need me near Saying where'd you go Brother, I'm right here In all those days When the sky begins to fall You're the blood of my blood We can get through it all Alright, let me hear you sing the chorus Brother, let me be your shelter Everybody Brother, let me be your shelter Never leave you all alone. I could be the one you call when you're low. Brother, let me be your fortress. Be the one to light the way, bring you home. Brother, let me be your shelter. Never leave you all alone. I could be the one you call. When you're feeling low Brother, let me be your fortress When the night winds are driving on Be the one to light the way Bring you home Brother, let me be your shelter Brother, let me be your shelter
Smile. 
my Savior. Is my Savior's love for me? One more time. Is my Savior's love for me? One last time, I stand amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned At this time, it's Kids Church, and uh, Josh, I completely told you wrong. We're done. So it's also your time. So we're just going to transfer all of it around right now. Y'all have a seat. It's wonderful singing with you this morning. Thank you so much. All right. Let me get this going. There's a whole gap over here now. Uh, you don't get credit for singing... How marvelous if you say it will instead of twill, just by the way. just want to let you know. Twill be my joy through the ages. So no credit for that. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for a warm, safe, dry place on a cold, wet day. Thank you for the gathering of believers, this church. Father, I pray that as we spend these next few minutes digging into your word, Father, that you prepare our hearts for whatever you want to say to us, and I pray that you remove all distractions. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, um, the message that I have for you, I just want to let you know, it's a little heavy. Um, it's kind of been weighing on me. And one of the things that you get to do when you preach is you get to take whatever's kind of been placed on you, and then you get to throw it back on the congregation. So it's been way, this has been weighing on me for quite a long time, and now I get to hoist it onto you. Um, but yeah, it's a little heavy. I don't know. It's weighing on me. And um, as we go through it, um, I just want to set expectations. There might be... Um, times where I seem maybe a little frustrated or maybe even angry, and I, I want to let you know that I'm not. Um, it's just that I really don't know quite yet how I'm going to respond to this. Um, we're going to be looking at mostly the words of Jesus, um, and, and the Bible, all the Bible is inspired, but, you know, there's something, um, not more special, but when you look at the words of Jesus, there's always an inherent, um, you have to do something with them, Right? It's not like uh, sometimes there's narrative in Scripture and it's story. Maybe it's the history of Israel doing something or maybe it's, um, it, man, you get to Numbers and there can just be a list of, you know, everybody, anybody ever tried to read through the Bible and then you get to Numbers and you just get stuck, right? And you go, man, can I skip ahead? Can I fast forward through all these names? Um, but there's something about the words of Jesus where you can't just hear them and be the same. You have to do something with them. And uh, 
I'm going to put all the words on, this, on the screen. We're going to consume quite a bit of Scripture this morning. All the, all the uh, passages will be on the screen. But I do um, encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to uh, open them. We will start in the uh, book of Luke, chapter 10. The book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, but we will, most of the time, we're actually going to be in different passages in Matthew. But we're going to kind of... Um, we're going to, this passage is going to be our anchor. We're going to look at everything else kind of through the lens of this story. And everything that we're going to talk about should be pretty familiar. I know you're going to be very familiar with this passage. So I won't spend a whole lot of time on this parable. Of course, that's what all pastors say that, and they wind up spending a lot of time. But hopefully, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this parable because uh, we want to get moving, okay? We, it's going to take us somewhere. But in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 through 37, it says this, And behold, a lawyer, or an expert in the law, your version might say, stood up to put him, him being Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So we have Jesus, and Jesus is down in Jerusalem, and we've got this expert in the law who stands up to test him, to put him to a test. And uh, the kind of implication that arises from this is that this expert in the law, um, where, where is Jesus from? I know where he's born, but where did Jesus spend the majority of his ministry or, or his life before his ministry? Galilee. And Galilee was, in relation to Jerusalem, was where? North. North. Thank you, uh, the, the man with the Masters in Divinity. You don't get to answer any more questions. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, Galilee is north. And Galilee, um, how do I say this? It was the Quinlan of Israel, all right? I, whoa, just, I, hey, I lived in Quinlan. I lived in Quinlan, all right? I'm just saying it has a reputation, a certain reputation, all right? I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that reputation was accurate. Hey, calm down. I'm just saying, good Lord, man, <laughs> if y'all get mad about that, you're going to be really mad here in a minute. So, so the lawyer stands up to test him, and the, what, the kind of I, idea we get from this is that he's basically saying, there's this redneck teacher from Galilee, let's see if he really knows his Bible, let's see if he really knows his scripture, I'm going to put him to the test, let's see if he answers a really difficult question, he goes, teacher... And that, that term that he uses, he might be a little sarcastic, but he, I think this is a genuine, at this point, I think he's genuinely testing Jesus. He wants to see, does this Jesus, this kind of um, hick preacher from Galilee, you know, does, does he really know his Bible? And he goes, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, now, if that question was asked of us today, we would answer differently. Um, we would expect a faith in Jesus. You know, you would expect Jesus to say, well, do you have faith in me? But Jesus says, uh, what is written in the law? Now, I think he does this for a couple reasons. Why do you think Jesus asks him what is written in the law when the expert asks him, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? To find out what an expert he is, yep. What else? Huh? Well, let's, let me ask it this way. What covenant are they under at this time? Well, the Old Testament's the book. The Old Covenant. Yeah. 
They're under the old covenant. They're under the Mosaic law, right? Had Jesus died on the cross yet? No. He had to be resurrected yet? No. So that's not the way yet that you would inherit eternal life. Now, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't just answer this guy's question. Instead, he asks another question. And this kind of Socratic method was usual at the time of teachers and rabbis. And he goes, what's written in the law? And like, Misty, I think you're right. He, he throws this question right back at him to go like, well, you answer it. You're the expert, right? You're the expert in the law. How do you read it? And the expert says, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That is known as the Shema from the first word of that verse, Shema Israel. It means here, hero Israel. Um, and then that's from Deuteronomy 6. And if I get these mistaken, I'm sure Chuck will yell at me uh, from the peanut gallery. And, uh, and then the second one, <laughs> and your neighbors yourself, I believe, is from Leviticus 19. So he quotes, this Deuteronomy 6 passage, the Shema, is like the pivotal verse in Judaism. Even in this day, it was something they were supposed to say daily. So he gives kind of the stock answer, okay? He gives the, the answer you would expect. You should love the Lord your God with everything you are. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, um, how easy do you think those things are? Not. So the bar for eternal life seems a little high, right? And Jesus corrects him and he says, no, you've got this wrong. No, Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Yep, that's, that's the answer. Do this and you will live. But he, he being the expert in the law, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, <laughs> and I think we glaze over this part. The expert in the law asking, who is my neighbor? He wants clarification right, to justify himself. What he really wants is he wants Jesus, he wants to know who, what's the smallest group of people I have to love? Yes, what's the least I can do? What's the bare minimum requirement of people I have to love to get into heaven? or to inherit eternal life. Now, what's crazy about that question is that this, he has no questions about loving God with everything he has. By asking the question, but who is my neighbor, he's basically saying, I've got loving God down. I'm rocking it. I'm killing it. I love God with everything I am, with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he skips right to the, but who is my neighbor part. Like, imagine the... All right, how do I say this? I got, I got grief for the Quinlan. I can't say, I can't say that. The, 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 uh, the arrogance, let's say that way. I was going to use a, a different term, a colloquial expression. But the arrogance, right? The brass huevos on this guy to go, I love God. I've got loving God down, right? So let's move on to who is my neighbor. So I think that's just the arrogance is incredible. But yeah, he, he wants to justify himself. He wants Jesus to say, well, what, uh, Chuck, you can't answer. In, uh, in those days, if you were a good Jew, how do you think they defined their neighbors? Who do you think their neighbors were? Yeah, just the Jews. Just, he, he wants Jesus to say, well, just love your fellow Jews. Love your fellow Israelites. You don't have to love the Samaritans. You don't have to love the Palestinians. You don't have to love the Galileans. You don't have to love the Romans. You just have to love the other Israelites. And then the expert in the law, I think if he had said that, the expert in the law would have gone, well, man, I'm good. Print me the ticket now. 
But this is not, that's not what Jesus does. Instead, he tells a story. And we know the story. We'll go through it quickly. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, is Jericho north or south from Jerusalem? Well, you'd think it'd be south, but it's actually north. And, and Jimmy, why does it say he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho? Northeast, excuse me. Because Jerusalem's on the mountain and Jericho's in the valley. All right, so he's going down in elevation to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. It's a very, uh, it's not a very smart idea, even probably today, to journey from Jerusalem to Jericho by yourself. Definitely wasn't back then. And uh, now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side, so likewise a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. And there's a lot of times you can get into the, the, the meaning of the symbolism of the priest and the Levite. But just very simply, who, who were these, what was the nationality of the priest and the Levite? Yeah, they were Jews, they were Israelites, they were Hebrews. They were his neighbors, okay? These are people who the expert in the law would say are neighbors to the man. And they see him and they, they go, I don't want, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were hated by Jews. Um, I mean, and in, in, in given the context of today, I think you could probably put Palestinian in there to get the kind of idea of the animosity between the Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were actually ethnically Jewish, but they had intermarried with Gentiles. They still worshiped Yahweh. They still worshiped God, but they worshiped at a different place, and they were just hated. Right? The Jews hated the Samaritans, Samaritans hated the Jews. There was all kinds of violence back and forth throughout history. And a really good Jew would actually, if you were going from Galilee to Jerusalem, uh, the shortest way is to go through Samaria. But a really good Jew would go around Samaria, which is why it's really interesting when Jesus says we're going to go through Samaria. He stops, there's the woman at the well, all that. So this Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus asked the expert in the law this question, which of these three do you think, and what's the word after that, after think? became not which which do you think was which of these three do you think became a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers and the expert in the law he's not an idiot he's he's smart he says the one who showed mercy to him the samaritan you notice he doesn't say the samaritan he says oh that guy that showed mercy to him so jesus said to him go and do the same so Jesus tells us something that I think is really important for us to grasp. And, that, and there's an implication for us today. That the question, who is my neighbor, is the wrong question. The question, who is my neighbor, is as I'm sitting in my house on my couch, who currently is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? It's a very kind of reactive thing. It's a passive reactive thing. Instead, we should ask, 
whose neighbor can I become? It's a proactive thing. It's something you have to get up and walk out your front door to do. Now, the interesting thing is, who does Jesus say are potential candidates for us, for neighbors, for us to be neighbors to? Yeah, here's the thing. If it's even someone that we hate or that hates us, um, then, and, 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 this, and the guy was in need, the Jewish man was in need, it means that at any point in life, anyone we come in contact with could need us to become neighbors for them. So instead of narrowing it, instead of qualifying, instead of saying, here's the minimum uh, amount of people you have to love or be prepared to love, Jesus instead says, actually, everyone you see has the potential to need you to be their neighbor. That's how he flips it. Um, Which, by the way, if that's how difficult it is to love your neighbor, how difficult do you think it is to love God with all that, right? Right? Um, So Jesus commands us to go out into the world seeking to become neighbors to those without neighbors, even those who hate us. Even those who hate us. That's what Jesus commands us to do. And today I want to kind of look at the question that the expert in the law had. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Um, It's a good question. And we have a stock answer. And it's just as good as the expert in the law stock answer. But I'm afraid that some of us might have the same kind of arrogance, let's call it, that the expert in the law had. All right? So now we're going to jump to Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew 25, if you want to turn there. Matthew 25, 31. It says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Who's the Son of Man? It's Jesus. Yeah, it's uh, Daniel 7, if you want to read that. Um, that's where it's promised. But yeah, the Son of Man is Jesus. When he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All right, Jared. What is this? What is this? I knew he wasn't paying attention. This day. What is this day when the Son of Man... You got it? Day of the Lord. Everybody give him a hand. Good job, Jared. This is the day of the Lord. This is judgment day, kind of as we call it. Uh, The Son of Man is going to come back. He's going to sit on his throne. He's going to be ready to judge. And all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate people from one another. Like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, uh, if we just stopped here, we'd feel pretty good. If you're a Calvinist, you'd feel really good because we've got a little predestination in there. Uh, we, it's really nice, right? You're, you're, you're blessed by the Father. Um, you inherit the kingdom that's prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But uh, it keeps going. Jesus keeps going. And he's going to say why these people get to come into the kingdom. All right? And if we had to guess, if we had our stock answer, our guess would be something along the lines of, uh, because what? Because they believed in Jesus, right? Hey, you could come to the heaven because you believed in me. Let's see what Jesus says. Why do these people get to inherit the kingdom? Because for, 
I was hungry, and you gave me food. Hmm. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Well, that's not the stock answer. Jesus must have failed his systematic theology class. That's not what we're expecting. That's, and their response, they're just as confused. All right? They go, uh, the righteous will answer him and say, basically, Lord, when did we do those things for you? And look what he says. Just as you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. Okay? Now, what do all these things have in common, right? He mentions feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, welcoming in strangers, clothing the naked, taking care of the sick, visiting those in prison. And I'm sure this is an exhaustive list. But what do all these things have in common? There's a theme, I think, that we could probably get. And the theme is, these are all actions of people doing something for people, one, who are in need, and two, who can't pay him back. That's what these things all have in common. All right? And I just want to say this um, now, that if you have reduced following Jesus to merely getting to heaven when you die, none of these passages are going to make any sense. If you think that Following Jesus is purely, merely, simply about getting to go to heaven when you die. Then, I hate to say it, but you're missing out on like 90% of it. If you are a Christian, and what does Christian mean? Christ follower. If you are a Christ follower just because you get to, have, you get to go to heaven when you die, then you are a Christian for the wrong reason. That's a perk. Now, it's a great perk. Don't get me wrong. But, but Paul said, I, I would rather be accursed so that my brethren could be saved. Paul, and guess what? Do you think Paul would stop following Jesus if Jesus gave him that deal? If Jesus said, okay, you can be cursed and all of your brethren can be blessed and inherit the kingdom. Do you think Paul would then stop following Jesus? No. Because following Jesus is not merely, not simply, not only about going to heaven when you die. If it was, then why doesn't he just suck us up there as soon as we get saved? What's the point of being here on earth? We have to be careful if we reduce following Jesus to only getting to go to heaven when we die. And we have to be really careful if that's how we save people too. That's how I remember I grew up in an age where you kind of scared people into heaven. All right? You got your fire insurance. And it was all about, I mean, it was all about the, do you think it's hot here stuff, right? And man, there's a lot of kids. And I'm not, listen, God can save, God has saved people through tracks placed on windshield wipers, okay? God's, God can save, God saves through dreams and visions. God can save however he wants, right? But that's probably, if people will only follow what you save them to, People will only follow what you save them to. If you save them to going to heaven when they die, that's the only reason they're going to be Christians. That's all they're going to think about. 
right? There is more to life. We are called to follow Jesus. This is what we're going to talk about. Now, you might think about that list that we talked about, these, these, these things that Jesus has said about doing something for people who are in need and have no way to pay it back. You might think like, well, that's small potatoes, Jesus. I want to do great things for you. I want to preach as well as Jimmy. I want to sing as good as Chuck. I want to I want, to, I want to rock this hat as good as Travis does, right? I want to do great things for God. I want to go out into the world. I want to do miracles. That's pretty popular. You ever, like, turn on the wrong channel really late at night, and you see some televangelists who are always named Jimmy for some reason, and they're just, like, going at it, and you're going, man, I, I want some of that. You've seen the guy with the, the cloak, the Benny Hinn stuff. He's just knocking people over. You go, that, that looks pretty cool. I want to do that. I want to do great works for Jesus. Well, Jesus has something for us too. Now, I want to say this, um, and we'll, we'll break this out a little bit more, um, is that the word in the New Testament that we translate as faith very often can be better translated as faithfulness, all right? Um, and we have this, this, we've made this distinction in our world ever since Luther that there is a difference between there's a separation between what you believe and what you do, all right? There's a separation. They are, they are distinct, separate things. Um, and we, we, have, we kind of treat faith as if it's belief. But faith in the New Testament, um, the word can be translated better, usually, most of the time, as faithfulness, all right? And faithfulness is more than mere belief. Of course, it includes belief. But faithfulness is more than just kind of intellectually agreeing to something. Faithfulness is more than just saying, I believe these facts about Jesus, okay? Faithfulness is faith or belief in action. And I, and I want to make this point before we get to our next passage. And, and we're going to see this in more than just the two we've looked at. And I don't know how to explain it, and it doesn't make me comfortable, but Scripture is very clear that for some reason, somehow, there is a direct correlation between how you love people, how you treat people, and your relationship with Jesus, particularly how you love people who are in need and can't pay you back. Now, there is a correlation. Now, I'm not saying that you might, at this point, you really hate me for the Quinlan con, uh, comment. You'll probably hate me for this. You might, there, there's, there's got to be a little, like, Protestant, like, core notion in the back of your mind that's going, is this dude about to say you get saved by works? I'm not saying that. So you put your tomatoes back in your pockets, put your rocks away. I'm not saying that you're saved by works, okay? I'm not saying that. You, you, there is not, there's no, I don't even know what that would mean, all right? There's no list of things that you do like the expert in the law wanted. Then if you, if there's no checklist that says if you do these 10 things, you get to go to heaven when you die. We don't have that. Right? We don't get to go to heaven. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It's all because of Jesus. All right? Let me just get that out of the way. But we can't deny that in the New Testament teachings of Jesus, there is a direct correlation between how you love these people, how you treat them, and your relationship with Jesus. It's clear. We saw it in Luke 25. We saw it in Matthew 25. It's all over Scripture. We can't deny this. So when we go, let's go back to the, to the big works for a minute. Right, since we don't really like these these things, these are messy things. We want to do big things for Jesus. We want to pack auditoriums. In Matthew seven, 
if you want to turn there, it says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who believes in me. No, no. What does he say? Who does the will of my Father in heaven. So there are people, when, when it says not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, what does that mean? Who are these people? These are people who are sitting in pews. Who go to church every Sunday. Who sing the songs and read their Bible. And go, hey, that's my God. That's my Lord. And Jesus says, yeah, not all those people are going to heaven. Only the ones who does the will of my Father in heaven. And what's the will of the Father? We've seen it. He says it later in Matthew 25. These are the things that, that categorize the sheep, the righteous. On that day, and what day are we talking about, Jared? It's the day of the Lord. It's judgment day. On that day, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many powerful deeds in your name? And Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't do any of all those things. Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't really do that. The, the implication from the text is that these people genuinely did these things for Jesus. But Jesus says, I don't know you. I never knew you. You have no relationship with me. I don't know you. In fact, he calls them lawbreakers. Get away from me, you evildoers. Why? Because the mark of a disciple of Jesus is not these great things. Remember how when he separated the sheep from the goats, he doesn't say, you guys get in because you prophesied, because you cast out demons, because you did many powerful deeds in my name. That's not what he says. He says, you fed the hungry, you clothed the naked, you visited the sick, you took care of the sick, you visited those in prison. The mark of a disciple of Jesus, of a true disciple, is not how great their works are, but how far they're willing to bend down to pick someone up. The mark of a true disciple of Jesus is not how great their works are, but how far they're willing to bend down to pick someone up. How far are you willing to bend down? Let me be very clear about this. I'm not asking you to give 20 bucks to the next homeless guy you come across. This is not a, hey guys, we need to get out there and be more charitable. This is not a call to fill the blessings box. This is not a call to come and work on Wednesdays. This is a call for you, for me, to repentance. Because I'm afraid that there are some of us who are just like that expert in the law who go, I've got it figured out. I love God. I'm good. I know the answers, right? I've got it down. Repent. If our, does our life follow what Jesus is telling us it should follow? Do we look like the sheep? Or do we look like these guys? Let's go on, James. James says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? It's a rhetorical question, but what is the answer? What's the rhetorical answer to this? Can this kind of faith save him? What's the answer you expect after that? No. No. 
James is saying, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can that faith save them? No. That's the implication. James is going, no. James goes on. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, what is with this? First we had Jesus, and now we've got James. What is this obsession? Poorly clothed, lacks daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well. I'm praying for you, thoughts and prayers. But you do not give them what the body needs. What good is it? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead, being by itself. We have separated faith and works because, let's just briefly do this, because of Martin Luther, because the Catholic Church was selling indulgences, and they were basically saying, you can get saved by works. And, and Luther went to Paul and said, hey, you're not saved by works, you're saved by faith. But look what Paul says. Paul, if you read Paul, he, Paul always separates. He always says, you're justified not by the, you're justified by faithful by the faithfulness of Jesus or faith in Jesus or faithfulness to Jesus those are the words the phrases he used contrasted with not the works of the law so what paul is contrasting always is old covenant works of the law and new covenant faithfulness of Jesus because paul had people going from church to church that he started telling these gentile christians you need to be good jews before you can be christians you need to follow the law in order to follow jesus and paul's constantly writing to the galatians to the romans everywhere he goes he goes hey you don't need to follow the law you are not justified by the works of the law you're justified you're in the new covenant you're justified in by faith in jesus by the faithfulness of jesus he does not separate faith and works that is a false dichotomy. And I agree with those that think James is an early, um, an early responder to people who are already misinterpreting Paul and separating faith and works. Like, like you can do that. Like you can go to a lab and go, here, we're going to separate faith over here, and we're going to separate works over here. What James tells us is that if you do that, they die. There's a symbiotic relationship between faith and works between belief and action. I think that's actually faithfulness. You cannot separate those two. If you separate those two, they die. They have to be together to live. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm just teaching you. I'm telling you. The, we can't ignore this, guys. Just because Luther had a beef with the Catholic Church, we can't ignore what Jesus and, and James and Paul said. I'm sorry. He says, but someone will say, you have faith, and I've got works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith how? By my works. Then he says this. Man, and if this doesn't get you, I, you believe that God is one. You believe. You have belief. You, what you call faith is belief in God. Guess what? So do the demons. They believe that Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus. They're, now, they're scared of it. They shudder with fear. They tremble with fear. But if that's all it took, if all it took was believing some facts about Jesus, now it takes that, but if that's all it took, then the demons would be in heaven because they believe all that stuff too. It can't, you cannot separate belief and action. You cannot, that, you cannot separate the two from each other. 
<laughs> because even the demons believe that. As we mentioned before, Christian means Christ follower, not Christ believer. Of course we believe in Jesus. You be- I mean, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, if you don't believe that um, there's only one of them, if you don't believe that he died on the cross, if you don't believe that he rose from the dead, if you don't believe those things, then of course you can't follow him. You- I don't know who you're following, but it's not Jesus. But that's not it. That's not all there is. There's a survey in 2015 where they did a study, and they found that Christians, individuals, institutions, organizations that claim to be following Jesus hold over half of the wealth in the world. In 2015, it was $107 trillion. That's a lot of bread, right? That's a lot of money. Now, it's, it's since gone up, so these numbers are, are, are a little off. But in that time, they, they discovered that Christians, Christian organizations, Christian people, Christian institutions possess $107 trillion, over half of the world's wealth. So we have $107 trillion, and there are people in this country who are dying because they're rationing their insulin. We have $107 trillion, and there are children in this county sitting in hotel rooms because they don't have anybody to adopt them. We have $107 trillion, and people are sleeping in the woods. That's not our job, right? It's the government's job. Let the government take care of them. Well, A, how well does the government do anything? Secondly, who gave us this responsibility? God Almighty gave us this responsibility. How dare we give it to the government? How dare we relinquish that responsibility? Who is supposed to be visiting the old people in the nursing homes? Christians. Who are supposed to be feeding the hungry? Christians. Who are supposed to be going to the hospital to take care of the sick? Christians. Instead, we take these people and we shuffle them off because we don't want to see them. We don't want to see the sick. We don't want to see the hungry. We don't want to see these people. Jesus touched lepers. And if there were lepers around today, we'd build a building and we'd shove them in it. And we'd go, we don't want to see you. Now you might say, well, let me ask this question. And this is a rhetorical one. Are you following Jesus or are you just believing him? Because the demons believe in him. Are you following him? Do you follow Jesus. Now you might say, well, Josh, that's that's well and good, but I don't have 107 trillion. You check my bank account, it's there's uh there's about ten bucks in it. All right. All right, I'm gonna go with Ronnie and I'm gonna get a chili D from QT after this, and that's gonna be about it. I don't have 107. It's great that the Catholic Church has a lot of money, but I don't have it. And I've seen I've seen what uh I've seen what Jimmy drives, that ALF doesn't have it. So we don't have 107 trillion. What are we supposed to do? We don't have all those resources. Well, guess what? Jesus has an answer for that too. <laughs> Matthew 14. When evening arrived, his disciples came to him saying, This is an isolated place and the hour is already late. 
send the crowds away. Send these people away so that they can go into the villages and they can buy food for themselves. Right? There's a lot of, this is when he feeds the 5,000. There's a lot of people. And Jesus replies, they don't need to go. And what does he say? He, say, he doesn't say, hey, they don't need to go. I'm Jesus. Right? I'll whip up a big old potluck. Right? I'll calm down some manna from heaven. We'll get some quail like we did in Old Testament days. We'll have a barbecue. That's not what he says. He says, they don't need to go. You give them something to eat. You take care of them. You feed the hungry. And they go, uh, well, I hate to break it to you, Jesus. We don't have $107 trillion. We got five loaves and two fish. That's all we got. And what does Jesus say? That's enough. That's plenty. That's more than enough. There's, Jesus feeds 5,000 with these five loaves and two fish, and there are baskets left over. There's, there's enough. There is enough. I don't have $107 trillion. I've got five loaves and two fish. God will provide you what you need to accomplish his will. If God tells you to feed them and all you have is five loaves and two fish, then you give them the five loaves and the two fish. And you watch what God does. Uh, if you need more about this, you really need to read the autobiography of George Mueller. I know I talk about him all the time. But that man, when he needed something for all the orphans he was taking care of, he just got on his knees and prayed. And those orphans never went hungry. God will always provide you what you need to accomplish his will. We have the resources. Let's be honest. This is America. This is the richest country on earth. Christians have over half the wealth of the world. We have the resources. We're just not faithful with them. There's going to be a day. What day is it, Jared? The day of the Lord is coming. And when the day of the Lord comes, we're going to be judged by how we use the resources that God gave us as a group and as individuals. How will we be judged? How will you be judged at that point? Are you faithful? You can't say we don't have the resources. Every time we've got an excuse for God, Jesus just comes back with something else, right? Uh, we can't do that. We don't have enough money. Well, that's fine. All you need is five loaves and two fish. Whatever you got, God will take it. He'll do it. So who are the Christ followers? Who are those who inherit eternal life? Those who feed the hungry, who invite strangers into their homes, who care for the sick, who visit the prisoners. Because those things save them? No. Because if you truly know Christ... If you truly have a relationship with him, if you're truly following him, if you truly have the Holy Spirit of God flowing through you, you can't look at hungry people and say, go be fed. You can't look at sick people and go, man, it'd be nice if somebody went and visited you. You can't look at people rotten in prison and say, well, it would be nice if they had a visitor. If you truly know Jesus, if you're truly following the leading of the Holy Spirit, then you won't be able to do anything else. You can't help but do it. There's something that compels you, and hopefully that something is the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit, or that hopefully that something is Christ. You can't follow Jesus on the path, on the road, and see a leper and not go, hey, let's do something. You can't do it. You cannot see a man bleeding on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and not stop and pick him up. That's the crazy thing about the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
The Samaritan's the one who's following Jesus, right? Not the Jew. Not the Jews that pass by him. Who are you? In Matthew 25, just after that one we looked at, or just before, I'm sorry, the passage we looked at before, he says this, and this is my last passage, so you'll be able to watch the Cowboys game. Don't worry about it. For it's like a man going on a journey. Who's the man in this parable? You can use, even if you don't know the parable, you can just guess. And y'all are real scared now. I'm sorry I yelled at you. <laughs> Who's, there you go. Jesus. He's going on a journey. He summoned his slaves. Who are his slaves in this story? That's us. Good job. Way to go. Chuck, I told you to be quiet. And he trusted his property to them. His resources. His 107 trillion bucks. To one he gave five, to another two, and to another one, to Ronnie, he gave ten bucks. But to every people, he gave them more, each according to his ability. Right? God has given you time, talent, treasures, as Jimmy always said. And some of you have more, some of you have more time, some of you have more money, some of you have, are more skilled. Some of you don't have any of them, and you're up here preaching, right? But he gives you every, everybody has something. Then he goes on a journey, and I'll... Let's just, you know what happens. The, the, the guy with five does something with it. The guy with two does something with it. The one who has one, he just kind of digs it, digs a hole, and he puts it in the ground. And uh, then Jesus comes back. And what is this day, Jared? It's the day of the Lord. I don't know if you noticed. There's a theme going on. And this is judgment. And he calls his slaves. He calls us up, and he settles the accounts. And they get to tell Jesus, look, this is what we did with your resources. We invested them. We've got more. And then he gets to, then he gives him rewards. And then he gets to the guy that's just done one. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. This is where that phrase comes from, by the way. And then the one who had received it, he just, he doesn't really have an excuse. He goes, you're, you're kind of scary. I'm kind of afraid of you. So I just dug it and put it in the ground. And he says, evil and lazy slave. He goes, therefore, at the end, take Take the talent from, the, from him and give it to the one who has ten. Right? So this is what I'm asking us to do. This is what I'm calling us to. Be faithful to Jesus. I don't know what it is. It's not a checklist. If you're looking for a checklist like the, the expert in the law, I don't have one for you. I'm sorry. All I have are the words of Jesus. All I have is a burden to put on you that you have to figure out. You need to be faithful to Jesus. All of us do. You need to be running the race of faith. You need to do that. You can't just sit on the pew or in the couch and say, oh no, I believe him. What did, uh, God has given you life, one life. God's given you resources. He's given you time, talents, and treasures, as Jimmy says. So invest that. Where should we invest our time, our talent, and our treasure? Anywhere we can. In people. And people, go become neighbors to those in need, people who can't repay you, people who hate you. And then you will please your heavenly Father. And then you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, as you enter into eternal life. Be faithful to Jesus. Don't just believe him. And I leave you with what Jesus says to the expert in the law after he answers the one who, about who, the, who became the neighbor. The expert in the law says, um, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus doesn't just leave it there, right? Jesus then says something. Jesus then says, go and do likewise.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is convicting, and it is challenging. Father, and uh, man, every time we think we might have it figured out, we're reminded that this life isn't about figuring it all out. This life is about the journey that we are on with Jesus. This, this life that we have as Christ followers, as Christians, is about following Jesus. And Father, I know that we all, including me, definitely including me, do this imperfectly, Father. And I know too often we, we get lost in focusing on ourselves instead of what you have called us to. So Father, I pray that you guide us, you show us. How do you want us to invest what you've given us? How do we follow you? How do we love the people who need it? How do we become neighbors to the people who need neighbors, Father? Help us to remove all the distractions of the world, all the things that try and, and pull us away, all the things that kind of divert our attention and our focus, Father, and help us to be 100% focused on you. Help us to follow the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. Yeah, we're going to fall down. Yes, we're going to mess up. Yes, we're going to sin, Father. We're not perfect. But please, help keep us on that path. Father, I pray if there's anybody today that has that gut feeling that maybe they have believed some facts about Jesus, but they don't really have a relationship with him. They don't really know him. He doesn't really know them. Father, and I pray if there's anybody that has that, that you would guide them to someone here, to Jimmy, to Jeff, to Chuck, to me, to anyone here who has the hope within them that can lead them to that relationship, to show them who Jesus is. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how convicting it is. Thank you for the blessings that you have given us. Thank you that you have given us the opportunity to be a kingdom worker, to be in the harvest field. Father, I know that you could have done all this by yourself, but you have chosen to include us. Father, and that is a blessing and a joy. And Father, may we as individuals, and may we as a church, be seen as followers of you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, and we'll... Uh, We'll sing, and then remember, we've got the candy land for the kids. Please, if you have it, if you've got a, a child who hasn't gone for, uh, through it on Wednesday, let them go first, and then everybody can go back for seconds. Um, and I think, I th yeah, I know, and I think that's all the announcements. All right, let's stand and sing, and then we'll go. Okay. Every Pharisee, you came for hypocrite, even one like me. You carried sin, you carried sin and shame, the guilt of every man, the weight of all I've done, 
fell into your hand Oh, your love bled for me Oh, your blood in crimson stream Oh, your death is hell's defeat A cross meant to kill victory your amazing grace I've seen and tasted oh your amazing grace I've seen and tasted it's running through my veins I can't escape its rip in you my soul is safe you cover everything oh your love bled for me oh your blood in crimson streams oh your death is hell's defeat a cross meant to kill is my victory what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus, oh, precious is the blow that makes me white as snow. Oh, no other bounds I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of takes away our sin the holy lamb of god makes us alive again makes us alive again sing it again behold the lamb of god who takes away our sin who takes away our sin the holy lamb of god makes us alive again makes us alive again oh your love led for me oh your blood in crimson stream oh your death is hell's defeat meant to kill. 
hill is my victory. The cross meant to kill is my victory. The cross meant to kill is my victory. Amen. Go in peace this week. We'll see you on Wednesday.